You're listening to Joey's Totally Tech, your tech podcast. Last week, we began our review of the Taiwan PC-1, but we couldn't complete it because we couldn't upgrade the firmware, nor did we get time to test out other features yet. Well, we've had more time and tested it out more. Did we get the firmware upgraded? What are my thoughts on the emulation performance and programming languages on this device? I'll tell you about this in my part two of this supposedly kid-friendly computer, the Taiwan PC-1, on Joey's Totally Tech. So last week, we had trouble upgrading the firmware of the Taiwan PC-1 because I couldn't seem to burn the firmware to the SD card. Well, I have Manjaro Linux installed on the laptop that I was trying to do this on. Now, I was in touch with Vladimir Machine, I think that's how we pronounce it, or Machine, from the Taiwan Electronics team who swore the image was not corrupt and seemed sure that something was wrong with my SD card or my SD card reader. Well, he was right in that his image was, in fact, not corrupt. He was wrong about my SD card reader and SD card. It turns out something was wrong with my operating system as I switched from Manjaro Linux to MX Linux and I had no problem using Belina Etcher to burn this image to the SD card. Now, this may not be a problem for everyone. Something could have gone wrong with my Manjaro installation, especially considering it is a rolling release model. But that's a different story for another episode. Well, great. I was able to burn it to the SD card, then I just slapped the SD card into the SD card slot on the Taiwan PC-1, waited for it to upgrade, it said card okay, bam, it's done. Now my thoughts after the upgrade? Well, we have Taiwan Basic Script, finally, which is definitely something I wanted to check out. The browser has changed from Firefox Lite to Lightning Browser. Not the same browser, but I think Lightning Browser is great for this uh, operating system. Other than that, many of the same apps that are supposed to be pre-installed according to my documentation on this are still missing. You have APK Pure on there, but not Aptoid, for example. So that's a negative about this. Not all of the software that they claim is pre-installed is actually pre-installed. Okay, so as far as the Taiwan Basic Script goes, well, to be honest, it's actually JavaScript 
with some extra functions for things like graphics and sprites. To be honest, I do like this, even though Talon Basic Script won't be used for anything serious beyond this device. It will help kids to learn a language similar to JavaScript, thus making JavaScript very easy to learn. You can also find Talon Basic Script examples on the Talon Electronics Forum. They don't have any really big examples yet. I'd love to see a full app or game show up to show the real power of the language. But be aware this language is not quite traditional basic programming. But you do have Mobile Basic Downloader available if you prefer more traditional basic programming. Oh, and by the way, I did notice something with the keyboard while playing with the programming. You know how last time I said the keyboard felt nice? It still does. But I did not notice this before. I should have noticed. But the keyboard is a little too sensitive. I would type and characters would appear multiple times on some of my keystrokes. For example, I could say awesome and A would appear multiple times. Maybe W is fine, S is fine. O appears multiple times, M appears multiple times. Not as consistently as that, but it happened. It happened way too often for me too, and I really don't find that to be a good experience if I'm honest. I tested out the emulation performance. I can tell you 8-bit emulators are going to work fine. That's no problem. NES and Sega Master System games, you're going to have no problem with. I played around with Speccy, the provided Sinclair Spectrum emulator. It seemed to work well, though it seemed to connect to repositories that were in other languages. I couldn't get an English game at all. Also, not having experience with the actual Spectrum system, I can't give the emulator a fair review, but as far as I could tell, it ran fine. Anvice X64, Commodore 64 emulator. Now, there's one uh, emulator I had an interesting problem with. Of course, for any basic programming with that, as well as to load games, unless you auto-load them, you need access to the double quotes. Well, I can't seem to get double quotes. I know where they are on my keyboard and where they are on the traditional Commodore 64 keyboard, and neither of them worked. I tried switching back and forth from symbolic to positional keyboard formats as well in the settings, and that didn't seem to work either. Emulation of Commodore 64s and other early 80s computers can be weird considering the keyboard layouts were a bit non-standard, but emulators are supposed to have ways to fix this. This doesn't seem to work right. By the way, Anvice X64 is one of the packages that's supposed to be pre-installed and is not. You have to download it. Apple II emulation works well. That's not going to be hard to emulate. Play organ trail and number munchers all you want. However, I do prefer a real Apple II to emulators, if I'm honest. For 16-bit games, I tried a couple of emulators, including SNES 9X and the SNES 9X Core for RetroArch. SNES 9X itself ran fine mostly, though there was a little stuttering about every 10 to 15 seconds. 
Now, when I tried to play this at RetroArch, that's where things didn't get handled so well. The gameplay was almost up to speed, but a little slow. The audio was very slow and stuttery. There were older SNES 9X cores that didn't do that, but the colors were also messed up. I had a red sky at one point in Super Mario Kart where the sky was not supposed to be red. I also played Sonic the Hedgehog for the Sega Genesis for this. It seemed to run mostly well, though again, there was a little stuttering. I did not test out any Neo Geo, but I'm sure that would be fine on this system, though I imagine it would probably be stuttering as well. I didn't test anything more because it started having trouble with 16-bit games, so I'm not even going to attempt PlayStation 1 games or anything newer than that. Oh, and other non-emulated games that I've tested on this as well that I didn't mention last time, Tower Jumper is a fun and challenging tower game where you're trying to make it down the tower safely. I think kids will enjoy that one. Block Games is a Tetris-like game. I mean, it's Tetris. I don't know how much kids like Tetris these days. Maybe some do. I did when I was a kid, but I don't know. I think most kids are into Minecraft and uh, Fortnite right now. Other games I didn't try out on here, but it come with a system, supposedly. I need to double check, however. Operation Alexandra and Timothy Gunn Outlaws and Jarlac for the Amstrad CPC 464. The Sword of Ayana and Crystal Kingdom for the ZX Spectrum. Out of Breaks, The Best Squash Halloween, Memory Game, and Minesweeper. Next up, I'm going to do a teardown and we'll talk about the other boards you could possibly put in this. like the music and sound effects we're using on the Joey's Totally Tech podcast? Well, we get the licensing for this music through Epidemic Sound. If you're a content creator creating video on YouTube or other social media platforms, or a fellow podcaster, visit bit.ly slash JTT Epidemic. That's bit.ly slash JTT Epidemic. And you can sign up for a subscription for as little as $15 per month. They have a wide variety of genres of music, as well as sound effects you can incorporate into your content. You don't have to pay royalties, you just pay the monthly subscription fee. Or you can also buy lifetime licenses to particular tunes and effects too. So if you want to use some fresh music and help support this podcast too, check out bit.ly slash JTT Epidemic and sign up for Epidemic Sound today.
so I opened this device up and I did talk about the insides in the previous episode. I found the screws a bit difficult to remove, honestly, but I confirmed the internal USB port with the connector to the keyboard controller. Also, the ribbon cable from the micro SD card to the SD card reader was there, like pictured. I removed the main board and temporarily placed a Raspberry Pi 2 in there. As I mentioned, they designed this supposedly where other small board computers should fit. And indeed, this board will fit, but you would only have the USB and Ethernet as internal ports and not available externally. A Raspberry Pi Zero or Zero W would fit perfectly in this. However, the problem is there wouldn't be any internal USB for your keyboard controller to plug into. Now, an Udo X86 II Ultra looks like a good candidate to put in the case, except for it's $267. But with this, you at least have two internal USB ports. You would definitely have to make modifications to the case in order for this board to work. But I think that might be your best option, really. I think you could also fit an Intel NUC board in one of these, again, with some modifications to the case. To be honest, without modifying the case or using some sort of adapter or extension cable, as well as the USB hub, even though they say it's designed to work with other small board computers, it's really going to be a bit of work to really have it in there and looking professional. The problem with putting a board with the form factor of the Raspberry Pi is you can have your HDMI at the back edge where it needs to be to plug into the TV, but you have no access to the USB or Ethernet without some modification to the case, as I mentioned previously. And so many of the small board computers made now use a similar form factor. The Taiwan PC-1 board has HDMI, power, composite, and one USB port all on one edge and one USB port internally. So even as a Raspberry Pi case or for any other small board computer, I can't say I'm a big fan of this, especially if it's supposed to be a kid-friendly computer. So in conclusion, the Taiwan PC-1 is an interesting device. It's trying to be a kid-friendly computer, but I feel it's really geared more towards retro gaming fans who generally are not kids. At the same time, I think the emulation performance is a bit of a letdown. It's a fine machine to learn programming on, as it has Talon Basic script installed, and there's a Mobile Basic downloader, and even a Pascal downloader, which I did not mention previously. But in reality, there are plenty of other platforms that are, in my opinion, far more kid-friendly that you can learn programming on. Now, last week, I mentioned that I would recommend a Raspberry Pi with a Vilros keyboard and touchpad hub case if you wanted something like this, and I'll put it in the description again if you want to buy that. But the Raspberry Pi Foundation announced their Raspberry Pi 400 computer, 
which is a compact computer and keyboard all in one. The device is not on Amazon yet, but there are two versions available, a $70 version and a $100 version. It's more powerful, and Raspberry Pi devices have great support already. The $100 version gives you everything you need to start, as you don't have the SD card, power supply, or mouse with the $70 version. When you consider the Taiwan PC1 is also $100, not all the apps it claims are pre-installed are actually there, and the performance is subpar and less than what you'll get with the Raspberry Pi 400. Well, I honestly can't recommend the Talon PC1. Go with the Raspberry Pi 4 and Velros Touchpad Hub combo or get the Raspberry Pi 400. In fact, the Raspberry Pi 400 is going to be my main recommendation if you're looking for something like this and something that does what the Talon PC1 claims to do. I think at this time, a better price for a device like this would be about $50. However, being that this is a much smaller team working on the Talon PC1 and the costs are probably not covered at a $50 price point, it's doubtful you'll see that anytime soon. And thank you for listening. This has been Joey Cagle with the second part of the Talon PC1 review. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was informational and entertaining. And I will catch you next time. As an exclusive member, I consider you an executive producer of the show. I'd like to thank our one exclusive member so far, Laura Lassiter. Thank you for being an exclusive member and an executive producer of the Joey's Totally Tech podcast. <laughs>